today we're going to talk about what do we believe about communion. If you've been around church for any length of time, you're familiar with communion. This is something you've seen, something you've probably participated in. Um, Hopefully you have some concept or understanding of it. But I want to unpack it for you today. What we're going to do is we're going to read through our paragraph from the Statement of Faith. We're going to find three sentences that will unpack each of those. And then I want to show you four things that communion calls us to do. In fact, four directions that communion causes us to look. So join with me uh, with our Statement of Faith. It says this. It says, what we believe about Holy Communion. The Lord's Supper, so you can call it communion. You can call it the Lord's Supper. Different churches call it different things. The name doesn't really matter. That's, that's not the significance. The power is not in the name. The power is in the, what we are symbolizing. Who, who are we modeling after? So the Lord's Supper, consisting of two elements, you've got in your seat a, a little communion cup and a wafer, um, the bread and the fruit of the vine, is the symbol expressing our sharing in the divine nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to 2 Peter 1.4, which we'll read in a moment. It's secondly a memorial of his suffering and death, according to 1 Corinthians 11.26, which we'll also read in a moment. And it's a prophecy of his second coming, also according to 1 Corinthians 11.26. And check this out. It is to be enjoyed, everybody say enjoyed, by all believers until he comes. Communion is not supposed to be shaming you. It's not supposed to be this dark thing that, that man, every time we come to the communion table, I feel like a failure as a believer. Uh, man, communion is something that Jesus has gifted to us to enjoy, man, to remind us of what he's done. So we're going to dig through this together. Our first sentence, the longest one, says this. It says, the Lord's Supper, consisting of two elements, the bread and the fruit of the vine, uh, is the symbol expressing our sharing in the divine nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you toss me one of those communion cups? I didn't bring one back up here because I used it first service. Uh, I get to partake in communion three times today. Uh, I got to do it with our, with our team before service, with those who serve. I got to do it first service, and I get to do it with you guys three times. So it's a good thing that it's designed for us to enjoy, right? Because uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I get to do this three times today. There's two elements in here. You don't need to open it yet. You can open it a little bit later on. But these elements we have in the communion cup there a wafer and some juice, right? When Jesus initially did this, he didn't use a wafer, and he didn't use juice. He used unleavened bread because it was done during the Passover, uh, and he used wine. And if you grew up in a church like me, you were taught that that wine was non-alcoholic, unfermented, which isn't actually the truth, Uh, okay? So yes, there was alcohol in the wine that Jesus used at communion. Uh, We don't use alcohol in ours for a number of reasons. We want kids to be able to partake in it. We have people who are recovering alcoholics who don't need to be exposed to that, uh, man. Uh, But if you partake of communion on your own and you decide we're going to do a little bit of wine, you're not sinful for that. If you go to another church and they do use wine, it's not those, they're less Christian than we are because they use wine in their, it's not about the symbol, okay? It's not about whether this is bread or whether it's a wafer. It's not about if you're worshiping with us online and the best thing that you can come up with is a graham cracker and some Mountain Dew. You are not less of a believer because your elements don't look like the elements. It's not about the elements, See what I'm saying? Like, it's not about the the representation. It's about what is being represented. Okay? And so we use the best things that we have. Um, But it consists of these elements, and it's a symbol 
In other words, we don't believe that we're actually eating Jesus. Okay, there are those that believe that, man, when we pray over this stuff in a minute, that this literally turns into the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and that we're practicing cannibalism. In fact, there were Christians who were persecuted in the early church because people thought they were cannibals because they were eating Jesus. Nobody's eating Jesus. Okay, uh, we, we are partaking of a symbol of Jesus. But notice what it says here towards the end. It says sharing in the divine nature. You know, you share in the divine nature of Jesus. That's a big statement, isn't it? That, that's a, a controversial statement. What do we mean? Well, it gives us some scripture we can reference here. We're actually going to go one verse further back. We're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And there it says that his divine power, his being Jesus, has given us everything we need. Did you know you have everything you need? Everything we need for a godly life. Did you know you have everything you need to live a godly life? Man, you've already been given it. Ephesians says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean you're accessing all of it. Doesn't mean you're walking in all of it. Doesn't mean there's things that you don't need to learn to unpack. But it's already been provided for us. Jesus has already paid the price for us. He's already given it to you if you're a believer, if you've received his salvation. You have everything you need to live a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. So Jesus called us by his glory, called us by his goodness. Verse 4, through these, these being his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Aren't you glad for the great and precious promises of Jesus? He's given us these great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Everybody say participate. In the divine nature. Did you know you have been called to participate in the divine nature? What does that mean? Does that mean you are God? No. It means you're in Christ. And Christ is in you. That you, through the blood of Jesus, you have been brought in to the body of Christ. He has given you an expression of the divine nature. In fact, you already had one when you were made in his image. But now you're not just made in his image. His spirit actually lives in you. And you are called to participate in the divine nature. doesn't mean you're God. But he's called you in. He's invited you into the process of redeeming the world. He's invited you into the process of, of bringing the kingdom from heaven down to earth. He's allowed you to participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In other words, you're holy, you're set apart. He grabbed you and he's pulled you away from the corruption of this world. Now the problem is some of us keep grabbing back for that corruption. Some of us keep, keep sneaking back over to those evil desires, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, how communion helps us if we're in that category. Um, but these elements are called to, to help us partake in the divine nature. Secondly, the Lord's Supper, consisting of these two elements, is a memorial of Jesus' suffering and death. This is the one that we probably most closely associate with communion, most easily articulate, at least for me. Um, I remember very strongly where I was. I was 21 years old. I was at a camp getting ready to go on my first mission trip. And a pastor named Randy DeBell led us in communion. And I had a revelation of communion like I've never had up in that point. Man, it came alive to me what Jesus had actually done for me. 
the intensity of his sacrifice that he again and again calls us to remember. In fact, I told you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to spend most of our time in Scripture today in 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul shares with the church at Corinth this statement in verse 26. He says, for whenever, everybody say whenever. Doesn't tell us how frequently, just says whenever you do this. Eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you go backwards into the passage, and we'll read a little further back a little later on, he's going to say again and again, do this in remembrance of me. So when we partake of communion, we remember, we memorialize, we honor the sacrifice of Jesus. See, communion causes us to see what Jesus has done for us. Thirdly, the Lord's Supper consisting of these elements is number three. It's a prophecy of his second coming. So it causes us to remember what he did before, and it causes us to declare what he's going to do in the future. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 again says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. Everybody say proclaim. proclaim. When you partake of communion in a few moments... You are going to proclaim, you're declaring, I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe this isn't just something that, a ritual of the church, this isn't just something that I'm supposed to go through or something that I do because, man, I want to be a part of the church. I actually believe Jesus is alive. He died for me. He's alive today, and he's coming back. You're declaring it. You're prophesying it. I believe in faith that Jesus is coming back. That's a powerful thing. So here's what I want to do today. I want to show you what I would casually call the communion compass. I believe communion causes us to look in four directions. It causes us to, to navigate our life in four directions. Uh, and I want to show you the four directions that anytime you partake of communion, we won't always have a time to unpack this through a whole message, right? I won't always get to give you a whole sermon on communion when we partake in communion. Most of the time, in fact, I won't. So I want to empower you with four steps to take every time we take communion. And by the way, you don't have to just take communion at church. You can partake in communion on your own. You can do it with your family. You don't have to have a, a degree. You don't have to have a license to do communion, okay? Like this is something God has given to the church, and you are part of the church. So you can do this. Anytime you partake in communion, I mean, I want you to, to, to reflect on these four things and think in these four directions. So first of all, communion calls us to look back to Jesus' sacrifice, right? Most, most common, most obvious, that communion causes me to look back to what Jesus did for me. When I look back at Jesus' sacrifice for me, it causes me to see a few things. Number one, it causes me to see the seriousness of my sin. God thought my sin was so severe, so depraved, so destructive that the only way he could fix it was by allowing his son to suffer a horrible death. Communion causes me to reflect on the heaviness, the severity of my sin. That Jesus Christ took 39 lashes in his back beat him within an inch of his life, that he took thorns in his skull. He took nails in each of his wrists and one through his feet, nine inches long. He suffered a massive physical pain. In fact, the word in English, excruciating, literally comes from the Roman word crucifixion. Suffered a excruciating death 
because my sin is that severe. Communion causes me to look back at Jesus' sacrifice, and his sacrifice causes me to, re- to remember how serious my sin is. Okay, it doesn't just do that. It also causes me to see the intensity of Jesus' love for me. That God demonstrated his own love for me in this while I was still a sinner, while I was still far from God, while I was still his enemy, while I was still broken, while I was still in bondage, Jesus Christ died for me. So I see how serious sin is. I also see how amazing God's love for me and Jesus' love for me. And thirdly is I see the beauty of God's plan. See how beautiful his plan is that from the beginning, from the fall in Genesis chapter 3, God already knew he was sending his son to die for us. He already had a plan to redeem us. And his plan was so good, so brilliant, so beautiful that not only did the enemy not see it coming, but the enemy actively participated in executing the plan. Man, that's beautiful. That's genius. That's the God that I serve. And so when I cause myself to look back, when communion calls me to look back at the sacrifice Jesus made for me, it reveals to me how serious my sin is, how intense Jesus' love is, and how beautiful God's plan is. Amen? But we don't just look back. We also look, number two, communion calls us to look forward to Jesus' return. Caused me to look back to Jesus' sacrifice. It causes me to look forward to Jesus' return. You see, Jesus isn't done with us yet. Good buddy of mine just wrote a song called You're Not Finished. Pretty proud of it. In fact, a couple of my buddies put that together. I'm so proud of Parker and Hunter and our worship team for the songs they've been writing. You know, he's not finished yet. He's not done. He's got more that he plans to do, and part of his plan is he's coming back. Amen. You may be in a dark place right now. You may be in a hopeless place right now. You may be in a a frustrating, just annoyed season. You may just feel like nothing's going the way you want it to go. I need you to know when you take communion, it reminds us of a better tomorrow. It reminds us that there's hope. It reminds us that there's future. It reminds us that Jesus still has a plan, and he's not finished yet. Communion causes me to look back to Jesus' sacrifice, but it also causes me to look forward to his return. Number three, communion calls me to look inwards, to check our heart. Causes me to look inwards, to check my heart. 1 Corinthians 11 teaches us on communion. Just a couple of verses down from what we already read, in verse 28, it says this. It says, everyone, everybody say, that's me. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. I hope you've had good enough teaching on this, that this is a routine already built into your life when you partake of communion. I hope that every time we take a communion, whether we talk about it that day or not, that you know you've built a self-discipline that before I do this, i got to look at my heart. Sometimes it's scary to look at our heart. Sometimes we're scared because we know there's stuff in there that doesn't look like Jesus. But God wants us to examine our heart. And when we find stuff that doesn't look like Jesus, that doesn't mean we're condemned. doesn't mean we're kicked out of the family of God. doesn't mean we're somehow now unworthy of what Jesus did for us. We were already unworthy of what Jesus did for us, and he did it anyway. He knew you were going to make those mistakes. He knew you were going to have that sin, and he died for you anyway. But when you look inside, 
causes us to measure, God, am I where I need to be? And I'll be honest, most of the time I look inside, the answer is no. That's not a bad thing. That means he's not finished yet. That means I got more room to grow. That means that he's got more he's doing in me. And so when I look in, I confess that sin. I give that to him. Man, it's a cleansing process. And so please, 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 before you partake of communion today, I may in a few moments tell you, go ahead and take the bread and drink the cup. But if there's stuff in you that you haven't dealt with with Jesus yet, then just ignore me when I say take the bread or drink the cup. You just do what you need to with God, okay? And I don't just mean today. I mean anytime we take communion. If that means you got to take that thing home with you and do it later today, then take it home with you. You can smuggle it out. Nobody, we don't have metal detectors. We're not checking to see if you got communion in your pocket, right? Like, you do what you need to do. Don't worry about if somebody else is looking at you because you didn't take it with them. Man, ain't nobody looking at you. We're dealing with our stuff, okay? you got to look inside. you got to check yourself. Why? Because you're going to go to hell if you take it? No. But the Bible does tell us it's possible to partake of communion unworthily. And there's basically two ways why you, how you can take communion unworthy. Number one is you're just not a believer in Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, we're so thrilled that you're here. We're so thrilled you're worshiping with us online today. We're so honored that you would take time out of your day to, to check this thing out. So if that's you, man, we're, we're so excited to be with you. But I would ask you, don't do this one thing with us. This is one thing that Jesus has explicitly said, this is for my people. Now, if you're not his people, but you want to be his people, then come be one of his people. We'd be so excited to help you take that step to follow Jesus today, to give your life to him. This is not exclusive to anybody. It's only exclusive to those who say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. So you can take that step today, and you can take your first communion as a believer in Jesus today, and what an exciting thing that would be. But don't take communion if you're not a believer in Jesus. Now, more relevant to most of us in this room, because we've taken this step, is we can take communion unworthily because we didn't examine our heart first. Because we didn't deal with God first. Because we just went through the motions. Well, everybody else is taking it, so I'm going to take it. And we didn't do the work of wrestling with God, is there stuff in me that doesn't belong there? And so I would encourage you, man, this morning, take some time, examine your heart, make sure you're right with God, and if you're not, just repent. Just come home. God, I'm sorry I developed this habit. I'm sorry I haven't dealt with that sin. God, I'm sorry I've held on to that unforgiveness, that bitterness. God, I'm sorry I haven't followed through with my commitment to begin spending time with you or to share my faith or to serve, whatever that thing might look like. Whatever is in you that doesn't need to be there, just repent of it. Give it to God, and then you get to partake in a worthy manner. Communion calls me to look back to Jesus' sacrifice. It calls me to look forward to Jesus' return. It calls me to look inwards to examine my heart. And number four, communion calls us to look around to the body of Christ. This is the one I think we miss the most. And yet in the immediate context of 1 Corinthians 11, I think this is the most important. Allow me to explain. In 1 Corinthians 11, if you read in most translations, there's going to be some section headings. Those section headings, by the way, those are not the expired word of God. That's just some Bible scholars who try to organize things and make things make a little more sense so you can find it more easily. So let me read you the section heading in my Bible. It says, correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. Paul unpacks for us this beautiful declaration of what communion is. This powerful statement that we've called, been called to remember Jesus' sacrifice in the context of addressing how the church in Corinth is getting it wrong. 
it's, you guys are abusing this thing. How are they getting it wrong? What are they doing that's so messed up? What they're doing is they're making communion about themselves and not about each other. What's actually happening in that context is they were actually, they would, they would take a meal. They didn't just have a little cup that was pre-provided. They would come in and they would partake of a whole meal, but the church didn't provide the meal. They would bring the meal in themselves. And so the wealthy Corinthians, they were coming in with more than enough. In fact, some of them were coming in with so much wine, they were getting drunk. Another reason why we don't do wine at communion, right? Uh, They were taking the sacred, holy thing and turning it into a joke. Literally turning it into sin. Others were poor. Were underprivileged. Were in a bad state. And they didn't even have enough that they could bring with them. And so some were partaking of way too much communion. And others were partaking of no communion. And the ones who had more than enough weren't looking out for those who didn't have enough. And Paul says, you're wrong. This is not the way God's ordained it. You see, communion literally means common union. It is the thing that binds us together. The bread represents the body of Christ. And who is it that partakes of the body of Christ? It's the body of Christ. I don't think there's a coincidence in those two metaphors, in those statements. I think this is divinely, intimately intentional, that communion brings us together. And so when we partake of communion, we think not only of our own needs, but the needs of the people around us. We think not only of what Jesus did for us personally, but for what Jesus did for us corporately. We celebrate that Jesus has given us a gift called the body of Christ. Remember, communion is supposed to be enjoyed. So next time you partake in communion, we're going to do this today. I'm going to make sure we all do it. But I want to empower you to do this going forward. When you partake of communion, remember, look back at what Jesus did. Remember his sacrifice. Remember he's coming back and look forward to what he's going to do and celebrate that hope. Look inside and make sure that you're right with God. But fourth, thank God for somebody sitting next to you. Thank God for somebody who's impacted your life in the body of Christ. You know that you have been gifted to the body of Christ, and the body of Christ has been gifted to you? You know you're a gift. Look at someone next to you and say, you're a gift. Look at your second choice and say, I'm a gift. It's true. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are a gift. You have been given to the body of Christ, and the body of Christ has been given to you. Thank you, Teresa. Lord knows you a gift. We all know you. You're at the top of the list, Teresa. Grateful for that lady. You're a gift. You guys are a gift to me. I'm so grateful for you. In the context of communion, of partaking in communion. Josh, will you go ahead and come forward as I wrap this up? Yes, communion is intensely personal. See, I can't look into your heart and you can't look into mine. Now, in very rare occasions, God may give some revelation, some word of wisdom, some word of knowledge where we can speak into each other's lives, and that's an awesome thing, but that's the exception and not the rule. You know what I'm talking about? The person who's going to have the greatest access to your heart is you. And so communion is intensely personal. You have to do the work. You have to wrestle with God for yourself. Am I where I need to be? And if not, how can I get right? But it's also beautifully corporate. Man, we get to do this 
together. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.33 says this. It says, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Now, when it says we should all eat together, I don't think that necessarily has to mean we eat at the exact same moment. Right? I'm going to lead you in this, and I'm going to say, hey, go ahead and partake of the bread. And, and man, most of us are going to partake of the bread at that time. If you're dealing with God and you need to partake later, it's okay. He's not saying that you literally have to bite at the same exact moment or we're violating Scripture. He's just saying we're doing this corporately. We're doing this as a team. We're doing this as people who believe in each other, who support each other, who are looking not only to our own needs, but also to the needs of one another. This thing isn't about me. It's about us. And I've been gifted to the body of Christ, and I'm going to be a gift. I'm going to look around and celebrate the gifts that God has given to me of my brothers and my sisters. Amen? You see, communion calls us to remember that Jesus physically gave up his body but it also calls us to remember that Jesus spiritually gave us to his body we look back we look forward we look inside and we look around communion causes us to look in each of these four directions and each of them has a power and a significance if we'll tap in to them all so today we're going to do communion a little bit different, at least different than I've done it before, perhaps different than you've done it before. Josh is going to lead us in, in some worship. We're going to sing this song, Nothing But the Blood, that declares that there's no other way I could be right with God. There's nothing else that could take my sin away. I'm going to ask you, would you, would you stand and sing with us? In a few moments, I'm going to come and, and lead us in each of these reflections, in each of these directions. I want to empower you now, though, as you worship. Begin to look back at what Jesus did for you. Begin to look forward to the hope that he's not done, that he's coming back. Begin to look in and examine your heart and look around and be grateful for the body of Christ he's blessed us with. Let's worship.